Welcome. You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you could join us. Today we're here with Dr. Loretta Justin. She's the owner and founder of Millennium Eye Center in Orlando, Florida, and she's the owner and founder of CEO of You. Today we'll be talking about some personnel issues. Dr. Justin, welcome. Thank you for having me, Marjolyn. It's a pleasure for me to be here. You you mentioned that you um, involved your team and the, the MEC, the Mentor, Educate, and Care, um, that it matches your, your practice name. How important is it to impart to your team members what your MVP is? It's extremely important because they can't fulfill it if they don't know what it is and they can't uh, communicate it to the patients if they don't know what it is. Um, I've always believed that you are as strong as your weakest link. If you as the owner know what you want to do, you have the strategy, but the people that are going to help you don't, that's going to weaken the results that you get. You're going to be frustrated every day because what you want to accomplish is not happening. So bringing my team in and helping them to see that vision and helping them to adapt that mission as their own was extremely important. And where over the years we've developed this concept, when we hire people, when we talk to them, I have a conversation with them, uh, something similar to this. This is what we believe here. This is how we are. This is the type of culture that we have. We believe in inspiring you personally and professionally. If you don't like to be part of a family, this is not going to work out for you. And so we're very honest with whomever we discuss, we talk to about an employment opportunity, but who we are and what we believe, what our values are. And I really pay attention to the person the first 90 days to see if they really fit the values that we have. Because once the team is in and they understand what you want to do and they've made it their own, it is so much easier just to implement ideas and everybody's on board. Things just happen almost magically. But that, getting the team on board, that is extremely, extremely important. And that begins with you knowing what you want first. So what are some of the red flags that you see in those first 90 days that might indicate that a team member is not working out? I look for attitude. Um, I I look for the way they respond to other team members and the way they respond under stress. Every team member, I hire a new person. What we would do before we hire them, we would do a four-hour work interview, and I pay them for this. And I'd have them come in in our busiest days, and I'd just throw them out there just so I could see their response because people are really true to who they are when they're under stress. So I would put them in a real stressful situation and have them walk around and talk to patients, have them deal with patients and see how they respond under stress. Cause that tells me a lot about who they're going to be. That that four hour work interview is part of the process that has been really valuable for us. It has 
made us change our minds about people who are very, very, um, they, they, they seem, they have very good resumes and they seem to be really, really good at what they do, but who they are would not fit in our practice. And that's what I look for. Who is this person? And that four hour work interview really help us identify, at least get a good idea of who that person is. How did you come up with that idea? Uh, a friend of mine suggested it. She said, you should, uh, a, a colleague of mine suggested that they do it in their practice. They would have anyone who wants to, uh, who applied for a job, once they're considering the person, final interview would be that four hour interview. And you would come in, it's a half day, you're going to be working that day, and we're going to p- put you in that particular job. If you have no training whatsoever, you will be shadowing somebody, but there's a way. I would create for you to have interactions with patients because I want to see how you treat people and talk to people. Now, you mentioned earlier that when um, you first created your your standard operating procedures and policy manuals and business plan, that there was some turnover. Firing people isn't easy. How, How did your philosophy on that sort of evolve? In the early days of the practice, Every decision I made was very reactive. So it was my reaction to a particular situation. If a staff member did something that I just thought was unforgivable, I was upset, I was angry, that could be basis for them to be fired. So I was making decisions based on a reaction to an event. I didn't really have any way to be proactive about my decisions because I didn't have any written rules. So hiring and firing was very difficult at that time because my decision was being made on how I felt. And therefore it seemed like I would fire somebody because I didn't like them or they were not good enough for the practice, so to speak. And that made it difficult for me. The, every time I would have to let somebody go was a very big challenge. But over time, as the standing operating procedure manual became, became more and more refined, we had certain rules that were set up. So firing was no longer a reactive event. It was really an active event between me and the employee. We all knew this was coming. And in the beginning, we would always say to them, and I still say this, I would rather you be happy somewhere else than be unhappy here. If for some reason you're becoming unhappy or we're becoming unhappy, this relationship is not working, we're going to have to change the relationship and I can refer you somewhere else or we're going to have to end the relationship somehow. So setting up the expectation in the beginning has helped a lot. And then periodically reviewing where you are, how things are going, and everybody knows the rules as to what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to to perform. If they're not performing, something is not up to the level that they know they should be. We sit and talk about it. And if we talk about it, we create a plan and we decide one, are you in the right seat? Because sometimes the, the employee can be really good. It's just what the job that they're doing, they suck. They're not good at it. So 
I sit with them and we figure out maybe you're not in the right seat. If we change the seat and we put you in a different seat, let's see if that works out. Then if that doesn't work out, then maybe you're just not a good fit for our culture and it's best that we part ways. So separating with the staff has kind of become more of a pleasant experience now simply because we have the expectations set up front and then the decision process takes a lot longer now before we hire somebody. So have you found that moving someone from from one part of the practice to another has worked? Yes. Yes, I have um I have one employee who has been on every seat that there is in the practice and we were kind of worried about her, see whether she was going to make it because we didn't know where else we could put her. And she's been in the front desk. She's been teching. She's tried billing. We were concerned about putting her in the optical because we weren't sure she had enough knowledge on it. But when we put her in the optical, something happened in her. She blossomed into this new person we didn't know. It turns out she had a knack for helping people pick out frames. She loved it. She enjoyed it. And because she enjoyed it so much, her whole persona changed as a person. So she's doing so well. And people are doing reviews on our um, on on Google about her um, with the experience that they have with her. So finding the right seat for her was really important. And that really helped me think about um, what we do now with a lot of our new employees. We do a series of testing, trying to determine personality, what it would be best fit. So that way we can try to avoid situations like that. But yes, it has made a considerable difference. That's nice. And you must have obviously felt a- attached to the, to this person to be willing to, to try all of that. Yes, because she had the right attitude. She wanted to get better. She wanted to be part of the team. She wanted to do whatever it takes. So that is not something you can train. That comes from within. And when someone has that attitude, skills I can train. I can show you how to use a lensometer. I can show you the different aspects of a frame and the lens. I can show you how to use the software, but I cannot train who you are. That is something that just comes from you. And that is what she had. So we were willing to work with her to teach her the skills because she had the right heart. That's a wonderful story and so important. So let me ask you this. How do you make the decision in a growing practice that it's time to add or otherwise adjust your staffing levels? It's um, the patient needs. We, we know uh, that on average, if you're seeing 10 patients with one doctor, you need three staff on average. That's uh, part of the norm in the industry. So for about every three patients you see, you need another staff member. Um, when we see how many patients we have per day, that determines what the support staff should be. And we use that metric as a norm to determine it. However, the money needs to be there before we can hire that staff member, or there needs to be a clear way for the finances to come that's going to support having the additional expense of having another staff. So that has to be cleared first, unless the staff 
member is able to bring that income with them. Let's say they're a salesperson and they can deliver a certain amount of, uh, they can generate a certain amount of income that could be part of their salary. Otherwise, I sit down and figure out where the money's coming from. And until I could see it, we have to hold off hiring another person. But at some point, I suppose there becomes that sort of, um, uh, and maybe that's in your calculations, that um, crisis point where people are either waiting too long to come in or waiting too long in the reception area because of bottlenecks. Um, that also must push this forward. Does your team have a say on kind of saying, I'm, I'm overwhelmed? Yes, they do. Um, if my team members come to me and they say they're overwhelmed, I, us- I always have a sit down with them. What I've discovered a lot of times when, in my experience, when my team members have the feeling of overwhelmed, it's usually not associated with their task. It's usually because they're feeling a certain way about their task. And if we can find out what that feeling is where it's coming from, the overwhelmed feeling usually goes away. Because there are days when you wake up, you have 15 items in your to-do list. And at the end of the day, you're done. It was all done. You're like, wow, that was amazing. And then there are another days where you wake up, you have 15 items on your to-do list and you're stressed out about it. You can only do five. So what's the difference between those two days? How are you able to do it today? but yet you couldn't do it the other day. So a lot of times I sit with them and we talk about why we feel overwhelmed because overwhelmed is a feeling and the feeling comes from your perception or your belief about something. A lot of times it's not the actual task. It's not really what's happening. It's just your perception of it. And usually in my team, my experience have been either the staff members going through something personally that makes them um, something personally that's challenging them so they can't really focus at work or they're having a situation with another staff member in the office. There is something going on that's affecting how they feel for a period of time. And usually when we sit and we go through the conversation and I ask questions. I become a counselor at this point. So tell me, why do you feel that way? <laughs> what do you think that feeling is coming from? And once we hash it out and we usually discover that it is something emotional that's going on. And when we can address that, the overwhelmed feeling usually go away because our brain is amazing in adapting, Marjolyn. You'd be surprised of the things we could do. At one point, it was hard to learn the ABCs. And then at some point, we could write paragraphs. And then we've written books. So our brain can grow and adapt to any load almost that we have. So we usually address that first before we add another staff member before we add another staff member, it needs to be really evident that we have met the requirement in um, our metrics as to how many patients that we're seeing. Are we all doing the absolute best that we can? Are we all in the right mindset? Is that why we're not meeting our goals in terms of service? And once we've figured out and remove all of our personal uh, feelings, out of the way, then it becomes a very practical decision. Then at that time, we do add another person. 
that sounds like a, a great strategy for building a really cohesive team too. Yes, we've gotten really close over the years. We're we're like a family. That's a wonderful expression. Dr. Justin, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Marjolaine. I really enjoyed our time together. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again next time on WL Voices. If you'd like to be part of our podcast series, please contact us. You can email us at wovoicesonline at gmail.com or via our website, womeninoptometry.com, on Facebook at WL Magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.